reopening is underway. People are getting out there. Walk in an aisle in any one of these retail locations loaded with people. And they're going to see your feet again. Make them away downtown, walking fast. Will you be able to find that great pair of shoes? Might be consumer friendly. And will you get them online where there's no Brannock device for that perfect fit? If you know the brand, then it's a lot easier than if you don't. Will your favorite store still be there? We have the likes of Neiman Marcus closing stores and we have Nordstrom closing stores. Will they have stuff in stock? There might be a glut of uh, merchandise out there. This is the Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs. Anyone thinking about a startup or a small business looking for a new idea, hear about strategies that work and strategies that don't work from people who've been there and done that. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Gregory Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we look at the challenges retailers face when reopening. Empty shelves, limits on the number of shoppers, customers still afraid of COVID. Here to talk about it is Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. Of all of the areas that have gotten hit hardest during the COVID-19 pandemic, retail has been one of them. Fortunately, George O'Shea is on the case. He is a principal consultant with Celtic Partners, and welcome to Language of Business. Thank you very much. How are you advising your clients these days and probably something that is the worst business environment since the Great Depression? Yeah, you know, at this point, I think what you want to do is find out one place that you excel, carve a niche out. It just explode that niche, ideally digitally, if you're capable of doing so, and some other innovative avenue to get product on, on a shelf secondarily, more in front of the customer on the internet at this point. But you can't get things on shelves because the stores are closed. I guess, first and foremost, what have you done with all the inventory? The inventory issue has been a nightmare for uh, long before the pandemic. You know, the issues out of China getting product in. And then when product finally got in, there were issues with the companies in the United States, the three PLs getting product out to the retailer and then the retailer onto the shelves for the consumer. So the supply chain issue has been a major problem now for months, not just recent. So what are you though doing on an e-commerce perspective? Are you literally taking the merchandise, putting it back in warehouses and selling it online? Taking it as much as we can right now into a warehouse domestically, selling what we can online, trying not to be too top heavy, but we realize that product needs to be inside of a warehouse in the United States. This hiccup has been a, uh, a major headache. What's been happening with pricing then, George? Have prices remained the same or because you've converted online, are you giving folks a, a discount? Yeah, no, it's funny. I keep waiting for... Uh, you know, with all of the surplus money going through, seeing some inflationary handle on this, nothing's happened. As far as deflationary value at the retail shelf, we're not really seeing that either. For the most part, the stores were relatively clean coming into this shipping issue. Amazon's driving the heck out of product, but Amazon now is shutting down deliveries and people that are trying to get product on the platform right now to be supplied by Amazon there's a hiccup there as well. They're, they're not capable of doing so. Apparently it's freeing up, but that's been a nightmare. So, you know, if you're trying to drive it digitally, Amazon's the place to start and Amazon's been a problem getting it on the platform. So does that mean that moving forward, you're going to advise your clients to start selling direct without having to go through a third-party platform like Amazon? No, it's funny. I have clients that have a expensive technology that they could sell on their own website, but they'll never get the eyes on that product that they need. I got an exclusive with William Sonoma 
back in November. They marketed the heck out of it during the holiday season and eyes went to that. So I would piggyback that, not just on their own website, but I believe that they need to be on Amazon. They need to control their retail and they need to be in charge of how that product is seen and how that product sells, but it has to be there. To me, that's critical. That's the building blocks of a company that wants to stick around for a period of time. Depending on which media outlets you read, some of them say that it's just going to be a soft summer and things are going to slowly limp back to normal. Others say that retail is never going to be the same again. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I see this as game changing. I've been around this business for a long time. I guess the truth is, you know, I joke about this, but I was a day trader in the past. And if I was smart, I would have kept my day trading hat on and I would have bought and sold stocks and shorted stocks based on what I was seeing myself. I had seasoned eyes in this industry. And this to me is a prime time for people to either redefine who they are, what they represent, how they get product in front of consumers, or frankly, go away. And what it reminds me of is in the 90s and into the 2000s when all mass merchants were headquartered in Boston and Walmart was the name that you heard of, but we really weren't that familiar with. And Walmart came in with an SG&A of 16% and they were all 24 to 27%. And within two years, they were trying to figure out why they were out of business. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see companies go out of business. So even if things revert to complete normalcy by, say, September, you're saying that the world will never be the same from a retail perspective ever again. I believe that the world, at least for now, won't be the same. I believe what I've seen is younger consumers who dismiss the seriousness of this virus, they haven't gotten scared, but they've seen a different temperature for the country. And they watch the older consumer and the older person in their home, maybe not panic, but, but they're sensing that there's something wrong. And You know, when they hear that 100,000 people are going to die, which is the equivalent of Vietnam and Korean War together, I want to talk about social distancing. Walking an aisle in any one of these retail locations loaded with people, I see it the same as, uh, you know, going into a movie theater or getting on a train or getting on a plane. 84,000 people flew last week. I don't see that changing, you know, by fall. I just don't see it happening. So to me, the strong guys on digital and the strong guys who are operations experts, they're going to thrive. I mean, Amazon's going to thrive. Walmart's going to thrive. Companies like that that have been ahead of the game and ahead of the curve, they're going to enjoy the rewards. And people that thought, you know, you had to have product on the shelves and people walk in the stores and discounting different products, I don't see that game coming back. I think Jeff Bezos is Henry Ford. I believe in 100 years, you're going to be reading about a man who, you know, people thought was crazy because he wanted to deliver books to your house. When the reality is he never had any intention of delivering books to the house. He was putting together an operations juggernaut, and he was capable of disrupting any industry he wanted to play in, especially commodity space. And I give the guy so much credit for what he did because he redefined how consumers engage with product. That's very powerful. So if you can engage with these people online, and if the reality is all they want to do is go to a store and pick up product, to go curbside and pick up product, they're going to do so. Smart guys are going to win. Guys that play the traditional old game, they're going to lose. And and not only are they going to lose, they're going to get crushed. For someone who wants to start a brand from scratch these days, post-COVID-19, of course, what would be your top two pieces of advice? If they're playing in a commodity business, I'd go right to Amazon and I'd get my product up and I'd get it seen by people. And and I'd hope like heck that I have digital resources and social media expertise that let me go out and, and, and spread the word on why my product was different, why it's innovative, and hope that you know, it gets a buzz and expands. I think any brand coming out right now that doesn't have a digital focus, that does not have expertise in, in putting together video and telling stories, 
they're going to get hammered. There's a lot of opportunity. You know, the market doesn't like uncertainty. And as a guy that brings product to market, I don't like fear. And I hear fear. George, thank you very much. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. George O'Shea, Principal Consultant for Celtic Hill Partners. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Still to come, people are getting out there and they're going to see your feet again. Will you be able to find that great pair of shoes? And will you get them online where there's no Brannock device to get that perfect fit? Will your favorite store still be there? The shoe industry faces its own challenges when the language of business continues. I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top tier business school until my first day. And I just really, for the first time, felt like I was in a place where everybody knew what was going on and everyone was incredibly driven to study this and perfect this field. And so I think being in a top business school really means that you are finding the barriers and the edges of the field and pushing them a little farther. And that's what Questrom has taught me over the past four years. The curriculum at Questrom is really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus on healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Question School of Business and, like I said, be able to work in any area of the industry. Interested? Go to bu.edu slash Questrom. You're listening to the Language of Business podcast. Back to Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. How much can you trust what you read online is actually going to affect your own business? We're on location with Larry Rhinus, who is an independent footwear consultant. And Larry, welcome to the Language of Business. It's great to meet you. Great to see you. Great to have you here. Larry, you will go to different parts of Asia, different international locations. You will contract with manufacturers to help their footwear get made and then try and distribute them or sell them to U.S.-based retailers, correct? Yeah, that is correct. What are you seeing right now in terms of positive or negative trends? Given the time that we're in, it's a highly negative trend, both on the buy and sell side. Give us an idea. Who is a typical customer that you have in the United States? Most of them are wholesale shoe companies. I also work with some of the major shoe brands. So we can sell shoes to some of the public companies that are out there servicing all the Nordstrom's, the Macy's, Dillard's, Belk. What are you hearing from your wholesalers right now? So most of the wholesalers are on a stop mode. There's a confluence of events happening right now. So we have the whole COVID issue. We have the manufacturing base concerned about what they're going to produce because all their orders have been canceled. They've been stopped. They've been held. Factories in some cases have started stitching masks instead of uppers for shoes. And uh, some factories are just waiting for the light switch to be turned on so that they can go. Well, retailers don't have an answer yet. If you look, they're not sure how they're going to open. They know they're eminently going to open. They don't know what it's going to look like. How is it going to feel? Some of the uh, retailers would suggest that they're going to go back to the old-fashioned, very one-on-one service type of selling where they're, by appointment, help customers in their stores. Others are just going to be doing the social distance. So we don't know really what it's going to look like. We know it's going to be an opening. We don't know uh, how that's going to look. Let's start with the cost side of the equation. Do you anticipate costs are going to change? (sighs) I don't know the answer to that yet. What we have is we have uh, warehouses filled with spring merchandise. We have stores filled with spring merchandise. 
We have the dock over in China that's just waiting to let go of spring merchandise. And we have factories filled with spring merchandise and we're heading into the fall season. So how that exactly looks for the fashion industry, we don't know how anyone is going to deal with it. We know that a lot of wholesalers are going to start closing. We know that the retailers, the small independent retailer, I've used the number of 30 to 40% will be closing. And people said to me, you're, you're low as stunning as that may sound. And the evolution of whatever retail was going to look like from months ago to today has changed. How do you buy a $300 pair of high-end shoes online? If you know the brand, then it's a lot easier than if you don't. And the other way is through marketplaces. The marketplaces have taken a very strong position where brands are able to sell merchandise they don't own and it's shipped direct from the wholesaler. And the brand itself is going to have to have the investment in the inventory to be able to get their product out there. But what happens if you have an extra wide or an extra thin shoe size? That's where the free shipping is going to come in big. What's add-on value each retailer or website is going to do to make sure that they earn your business? I spoke with Steve Madden people yesterday. Yeah. No idea what's going to happen to their business if there is a trade war or if there is an escalation between China and the U.S. Because no matter where they are in Indonesia, in Cambodia, in Vietnam, it still funnels from China. And they don't know what will happen with their business. And they're selling a lot of shoes. So if a pair of high-end shoes is selling for $300, what do you think might happen as we get into the late summer, early fall? If it's a supply and demand issue, there might be a drop in price. Because we know we have a lot of uh, supply and we don't know what the demand is going to be. We don't know how pent up it is. We don't know what appetite consumers are going to have. And at $300, we have the likes of Neiman Marcus who are closing stores and we have Nordstrom closing stores. So there might be a glut of uh, merchandise out there, might be consumer friendly. Do you think this is a permanent change in the supply chain or do you think that COVID-19 notwithstanding, things could revert to normal by the end of the calendar year? No, we're not going back to normal. I mean, just what happened with China and Hong Kong, there's going to be a no looking back. Things have changed. There's going to be a big difference unless there's some event that we don't know about yet today. What we do know, what I can say is that before what happened this week, that the manufacturers that I've spoken to in the factories over in Asia, I've asked them if they've wanted to look to start setting up shop here or if they're going to set up shop somewhere else. And the answer was we can't set up shop because everyone's ordering equipment. We don't know where it's going yet. So we know that the manufacturing base is going to slide out of China, out of Asia. We just don't know where it's going to land. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing to have the manufacturing base slide out of Asia? For geopolitical reasons, I I think the answer might be yes. We worry about human rights. It's not a bad thing. We just have to make sure that it ends up in a place where we don't have to worry about that as much. What is the single biggest thing that keeps you up at night right now about your business? We don't know really what tomorrow is. We know it's going to be different. We know it's going to change. We just don't know what the change is going to be. We don't know who's going to be there. I know that one major uh, footwear retailer is going to lose 15 to 20% of their employees. They don't know what anything's going to look like. And they're just like fastening their seatbelt, trying to move forward responsibly without tripping on themselves. Larry, thank you very much. Thank you. Larry Rhinus, independent footwear consultant, talking about possible permanent changes in the supply chain. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Greg. And that's our latest episode. Support for the Language of Business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. The Language of Business is available wherever you get podcasts. 
We now have downloads in 40 states and over 66 countries. We really appreciate the support. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. New production music is by Randy Barth of Osui Media Group. Additional production by Jeff Ozalumba. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, thanks for listening to The Language of Business.